Hello, everybody. Hello. Right. There we go. Uh, welcome to Stand Up Tragedy. My name's Dave and I'm your host. Now, Stand Up Tragedy is a live show and a podcast where we ask people to come stand up on stage and do some tragedy. So we, are, we, we reach out to people from all the different parts of the arts. We get musicians, storytellers, spoken word artists, uh, comedians and more. And we ask them to do some tragedy. So that's what tragedy means to them. So I don't know what tragedy means to them and nor do you. We're all going to find out today. Now, if you walk down the street in your life, uh, you could get hit by a car at any time or struck by lightning at any time. Tragedy happens unexpectedly. Um, but today, in this room, we know that some tragedy is going to happen. So we're kind of better off than when we're walking down the street. We know to expect some tragedy on this stage. But tragedy, of course, does mean that we will be talking about sad things, uh, dark things at times, uh, with some laughs as well as some tears. We like you to cry until you laugh and laugh until you cry. So all responses are very welcome. Laughter is definitely appropriate, but so is tears. If if, if you so feel the need um, and yeah we want to make a safe space to talk about unsafe things uh, so that's what we try to do here at Stand Up Tragedy so hopefully you'll all enjoy that um, yeah and uh so we know that tragedy is going to happen. We should expect it to happen. The other bit of sadmin that I just need to get through before we have some performers <laughs> is that um, stand-up tragedy is here as part of the PBH Free Fringe, uh, which means that it's absolutely free to come in. Um, that's absolutely great. Art that's free at point of contact is a very important thing, I think. Um, but it, it, if you leave, it is also free, of course. You can leave this room without paying any money. But you can pay some money if you can. If you've got some money that you'd like to pay back uh, we will very much appreciate it um it's a tragic time, I think, in our, in our, in our culture. We, we have a sort of tragic five years, at least, uh, of, of, of the current government situation, which means that things are getting cut left, right and centre. Um, so the, it's, if you can afford to support people at this moment in time, now's the time to do it. You know, Our arts are being cut as well as everything else that's important to us. And if you can support us, um, by, with, then please do, but only if you can. Um, and yeah, it's tragic times uh, for, the, for, the, for the country. It's also tragic times for me personally. I lost my job to those very cuts a couple of years ago and I'm currently trying to make it as a, as a working artist which I tell you what guys it is tragic that is very tragic you don't have very so, so when you consider giving some money at the end of the night uh, think, remember that some of that money may go towards paying my rent for next month uh, and uh, you know so that's a, a thing to keep in mind and if you, uh, if you would like um, to get something for your generosity um, one night only we are giving away uh, t-shirts not the ones we're wearing free, free ones uh, uh, free and fresh ones that's the clean that's the word clean ones very clean um <laughs> The cleanest t-shirts you'll ever wear that have this logo on them. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you want to uh, get one of those at the end, you can. There's only a few that we have uh, for £10. Uh, and we've got quite a few fanzines as well, which we had a, an artist make for us last year when we did a night called uh, Greek Tragedy. And it's kind of some beautiful pictures. If you uh, would like to get one of those, you can pay £5. Um, so we're near, really near the end of the Sadmin section before we, before we get through that. Um, if you want to make friends with the tragedy, you can. We're on Facebook, so make friends with the tragedy there. If you want to follow the tragedy, then we're on Twitter, at Stand Up For Tragedy. And if you want to talk about the night, it's hashtag Tragic Moments. And if any of you find yourselves in London uh, in October, our next night there will be Tragic Autumn on the 16th of October at the Hackney Attic. So if you enjoy what happens here, go along there if you can uh, and tell people who you know who live nearby to come. Right, so with that over with, 
the tragedy now can properly begin. So put your hands together, everyone, for our first performer. Her name is Caroline Smiling! Hi. Um, so, yeah, I do a lot of... Uh, wow, this is the first time on this stage and people have been telling me it's bright, but wow. Um, Uh, I do a lot of music and poetry stuff, and I made the name Caroline Smiling, which in itself is it's like tragic optimism. Because I'm not always the happiest person, but I try. And people say that you know, smiling is, is the thing that you do it, and then you start feeling happier. So it's something I've always tried to, to do with that. And I also, with uh, poetry and music, I often write poems and then songs, versions of the poems, which are different, but with the same sentiment in it. Um, and so today I'm going to do... Um, I have a problem with loving myself. I don't know if anyone else has got that problem too. I've, like, it's, it's, it's a pretty big issue for a lot of people. Um, so this, this poem is about that initially for, for me and it's called Heart State. Over the course of a long stretched summer, pulled out before me like a roll of concrete, I kissed three people who didn't belong to me. Locked lips with individuals who already had long-standing lovers, and I'm not proud of this. But I know in my indiscretion, seeking some warm and distant co comfort in the soft mouths of others, I was looking for something long lost, and long laid down as impossible. Managed to find my place as the one who can rest easy in the crook of any arm. We fucked deep into little portions of heaven for brief fragments, but never invited to sleep in the security of a standing embrace. I am the substitution. I'm the partner for a slow dance when all other arms and hands and hips are cupped and scooped into perfect circles with better matches than I could ever be. I know now that I am a Nancy no size. Everything is an ill-fitting match. And I want to say that I know what love is, but I won't. I want to say that I know that you will be the one to make the blood flow and the heart palpitate, but I don't. I don't speak affection in the same language as other people, and it shows. Chase after girls with broken ribs and battle scars. Fall for boys who pin stars to their chests for battles that they didn't fight in with bottle-flavoured lips. And I miss everything, though, whilst I experience very little. And I like to scribble and I fight dirty without liking the mud that I get on my shirts, I guess. I am a sucker for getting myself hurt. Masochistic only long enough for the wonder of being proved wrong. And I write punches into my songs so I can remember what it feels like to be so in love that it knocks the breath right out of you. It is shocking how often I want to have the breath knocked right out of me, but I'm fisticuffs now. I'm furrowed brows. I'm touch and go. More often go than stay and I complain, but honestly I think I like it this way. I like feeling rough around the edges. Corrugated. The slates that make up my rooftop are juxtaposed. For want of a better phrase, I keep a year-long sore throat coughing up the blood of mistakes that I don't fully remember making but pay for. I've confused myself into a corner where a simple decision like, what would you like to eat for breakfast, Caroline, leaves me with this unshakable certain knowing that when I die, my last conscious thought will be, why did no one ever really love me? And that isn't a normal reaction. And though I'm healthy, mostly, 
And though I function as well as I could, should ever hope to, I wear this skin as a costume that I feel I don't deserve. It's why I am constantly trying to split the surface. I serve these bones, a motorhome of flesh that does me no favors and belong here, belong anywhere. Soaked in bad judgment, I look for God in all the smiles I try and pry out of strangers, but find no heaven in the response that I get from the cold corners of mouths of people that I don't know. I've shown them the sweetness of a person that doesn't exist. I fit only in the spaces that they need, rather than the spaces that I really am shaped like, and I sit back, marvel at this mess that I have made, brush away logic with shaky hands, knowing that the only real thing is I never really learned how to love myself. Thank you. Oh, it's a little emotional sometimes, thank you. Um, so this is, and this is my uh, tenor ukulele called Marzuki, and it's probably... Wow, it's more in tune than I thought it would be, um, after carrying around all day. Um, and that's, I don't know how loud that will be to everyone, but... Um, hopefully it will pick up somewhat but this is uh, the song version of the poem Heart State and it's called uh, I Wear the Skin I look for love and talking to strangers I look for God in all conversations I take my misery with me to bed Swallow sadness as an antidote to awkwardness I got nothing left costume that I feel I don't deserve. I serve these bones in this home of flesh. Yes, I know it does me no favors. Yes, I know it does me no favors. So I just I feel the earth to look for a heartbeat I store my grief in neat little rows I walk around finding feelings to follow I run names on the soles of my shoes so I don't feel so alone Wherever I go that I feel I don't deserve. I serve these bones in this home of flesh. 
Yes, I know it does me no favors. Yes, I know it does me no favors. So I just go where my peace of mind goes to die. And I've tried to like this. Yes, I've tried to like me, but I wear the skin as a costume that I feel I don't deserve. I serve these bones in this home of flesh. Yes, I know. It does me no favors. Yes, I know. It does me no favors. So I just. Thank you very much for listening. Caroline, smiling, everybody. Okay, right. So our next uh, piece of tragedy is is going to be well, uh, well, it can you never know what it's going to be, um, but it's going to be some more spoken word. There's actually three uh, spoken word performers tonight, but there is also uh, a storyteller, and uh, the last person is going to be me, kind of talking at you a little bit like this, uh, but more entertainingly. But yes, so our next performer uh, is Daisy Thurston Jens. <laughs> Tragically small, yeah. Um, thank you so much for having me. Um, oh, I woke up quite sad, quite appropriately. Um, so I wore my saddest T-shirt, sad three times, sad, sad, sad. Um, Keaton Henson, if you don't know him, is the saddest man. Um, I don't know who Keaton Henson listens to when he's sad, um, which makes me sad again. Um, maybe Damien Rice, I'm not really sure. I don't, or then who does Damien Rice listen to when he's sad? And oh God. <laughs> Um, so I'm just trying to be there for them, you know? Um, so I, what I did, I, I bought myself an Elvis badge um, to make myself less sad, and I'm hoping that reading poems will make me less sad as well. Um, uh, this first poem is sort of inspired by, yeah, that sentiment of bones, and um, it's, you know, it's for anyone who's ever spilled their guts out to someone at a party, like a stranger. Um, also, the, like, uh, there's a bit in this poem where it kind of sounds like I hate men. But I, um, I don't, I don't hate men. Like that's just like, I mean, loads of my friends are men, like loads of them. So, like they're not that bad. Um, but this is like specifically to like one, one man I met, a boy I met at a party, who told me that my voice was too, um, too, too low, an octave for him to want to speak to me. Um, so like, whoa, like really. Um, so there's a bit in the section where it's like kind of angry, and that's why um, it's not just a hating rant. Um, but in the mornings I cry behind my eyes and I blame it on the drinking. I can't relax, my bones crack and it's got me thinking if this is it forever. Right, whatever that means. If by the end we're just two seams splitting and you're leaving me, I know it. Slowly. Each day closer to the day you go away or I do, whichever way round it is, we're tearing apart. But apart from that, we're good. Apart from the fact that well, I still think about running away daily just to save me the hassle of sewing myself up when we split one stitch in time saves no one I've come to realize and I despise every damn piece of advice that my mother gave me that I hated that turned out to be right I hated the fights that made nights memorable I hated the stairs for a while 
even though I never fell down them, just frowned when I heard sentences I didn't get yet from the top sitting down on them, listening, christening the banisters of my tears. These days I save them, pretend like I don't give a crap, like I've grown out of that, but now I weep at poetry. And I feel I should offer an explanation. I think apologies are needed for my behavior. I feel forgiveness is in order, but I just can't give it yet. I'm still caught up in my bad habits and yeah, I do hold grudges. And I hold them deep in fury and surely you can see why. Nobody knows that I hold my rage close to my bones. I hold my rage close to my bones and I can cry by the way that Tom Waits reads the first line of America and I'm not sure if I'm crying at Ginsburg's words or the weight of the weights and I'm under the impression that very few boys want to be with a girl who speaks at least two octaves lower than most of the girls she meets or writes for herself or speaks in beats because that means she thinks. I try so hard to think about what I say I forget to craft the way I'm saying it and when playing it back I think, oh shit, do I sound like that? So maybe you will cackle and snigger, but believe me, I did first and my laugh's bigger, but I have a thirst for speaking and for writing, but it's speech that's beating me to the page, so I stop in my mouth and I say it. Anyway, I often say the wrong thing. The wrong lines come easy when I don't take the time to construct them properly, when I become lazy and let my tongue roll out like a red carpet for the untalented layabouts and label it speaking freely. It's easy to sound it out, but meaning it. It's different, isn't it? I shouldn't have to make my voice sound like a girl's just so you like me. So you take the time out of your life to talk back to me. Here's a lesson. You accept the imperfections, not reject them. Embrace their methods of affection and perfect them. Hear the words they're trying to say and connect them. Don't correct them. Try your hardest to collect their faults and triumphs. You'll need them for your collection when you try your best to section out why you love them so much in parts over the rest of them. Learn to love them and stop testing them. Push the hate aside that's pestering and festering and accept them for fuck's sake. Just see the best in them. Don't make them ever feel lesser than they are. Don't plonk them on a pedestal like in songs you listen to. Find a real place for them. Hide them in your heart. Because it's the only organ we know to be strong enough to keep things from dying. The brain is trying, but it's not quite there yet. It's just a network of cells that sometimes still forgets. Now the heart's the best bet. It will pump until it stops, unlike the brain, which deteriorates, tangling knots of facts and imaginings until it's too blurry to focus on reality. People are real. Stop trying to conceal your feelings or not mind readers or big believing social healers reading from tea leaves that you spat back into a cup. We can do this. You and me. Beat the organs that define how we need to beat to be. Don't let us become blurry. Don't forget me. Don't forget. Don't. Thank you. Um, for the benefit of the podcast, I did hit the microphone with my own face. Uh, so that's tragic, and I didn't want anyone to mess out on that. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, I like telling stories most of the time, um, except when I'm in sad moods. Uh, but this is a, a story about um, why you remember some stories and why some others kind of, you know, you always remember the bad things most, um, and I think 
there is a science behind it. I'm not really sure what it is, but there's something about you know trauma and stuff that is a bit more memorable. So you know, great idea for a night, really. <laughs> um, but the only reason we told so many ghost stories was the hope that we ourselves would one day become ghosts. You know, so we'd never grow old. So that our bones would never fail us and that our frail existence would be the kind of tales that keep 11-year-olds awake at night. You'll find me in the imaginations of a scaredy cat. You'll find me creaking in the rafters. Because if we were left haunting, then we'd never truly be dead, baby. We kept telling ghost stories in the hope we would one day become the gossip of school children. That their scared excitement would keep us alive because graveyards are just gardens in which we sleep and we are all so tired. All need some peace and quiet because, well, I still go bump in the night sometimes, but I'm no longer frightened of finding something under my bed like, hello darkness, my old friend, make friends with the monsters. All right, trust me, you'll need them. I cannot forget you, poltergeist. I know I have your eyes, your, your smile. You were the protagonist in every tall tale I told. You're what I see in every cloud. You are a frisbee to the mouth. Ouch. You know, every rainy day I was told to save change for. Every broken crayon I could never draw, but I liked the sensation of pen to paper, so I started writing my stories, and you're the dedication page in all my unpublishables. But you don't even know that I'm a poet. You see, my father is a photograph and a well-rubbed barber jacket. My mother is large hands. David Hockney books and alone at New Year's. She goes to too many funerals, laughs at E.T., cries at airports, and her heart is the color of Merlot. But it does not take much to turn it stout tonight. My mood is a London black cab tonight. It all comes down to darkness. I try so hard to make the dead proud. I neglect the fact that I can so often upset the living. And I'm mostly made up of knickknacks and heartaches and washed up dreams that jumped overboard when they saw that I couldn't steer straight so they took to the seas without me and I'm not sure if this will get any easier. I'm not sure about a lot of things. What I do know though is that I still remember the words to the ghost stories that scared me. That fear is a lot harder to shake because it is ingrained, so go ahead, remember me. Be afraid, I'm not ashamed to say that it is your face that I see when I squeeze tight my eyes. You, poltergeist that gave me darkness as my comfort blanket. You are both my rudest awakening. And it is you that tucks me in at night. Thank you very much for having me. Daisy Thurston Gent, everybody. Okay, right, so our next performer, she is a true storyteller from the, uh, from the, from the true storytelling night, Spark. Put your hands together, everyone, for Gigi Hannah! Wow, I can't see anybody. Um, I just wanna say um, two great acts all the more reason you're gonna have to help me tell my story. It is a true story, but I need your help uh, doing it. Um, I just want you to repeat after me. Can everybody just say, yeah, yeah, after me? 
Yeah, yeah. All right, a little bit more gusto. Yeah, 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 Okay, you're gonna you're gonna know the signal when I give it to you. So I'm gonna call him Doctor Yaya, and it's not his real name, but it rhymes with his real Egyptian name. And um, to an English speaker, it's gonna it's gonna have the same effect as his real name. It's it's a bit ironic, and it's very befitting when you find out what his specialty is. So I met him when I was in really bad shape. I was in San Francisco, and I would be lying down in random places in my very large apartment. And I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating, and I had this crushing depression so that um, I, I didn't want to see anybody at all. And I'd broken up with a, a boyfriend of 11 years, and I literally felt like there's this boulder had rolled on top of my chest and I couldn't get it off 24-7, it was there. And when it became too heavy, I'd just lie down and under the kitchen table, in the hallway, in the bathroom, uh, anywhere that I happened to be until this kind of weight got out of my chest and, and I could stand up again. And uh, it wasn't going very well and so, some friends uh, tried to cheer me up in different ways and one of my friends in Cairo where I'm from uh, called and said, uh, there's this doctor in Egypt and he needs to come to San Francisco for just a month would you be able to give him your spare room? He's doing some research at UCSF Medical Center. And I said, hold it right there. It's not going to happen. I don't want to be with anyone. I can't see anyone, especially not a man. And no. And, and then she said, uh, but he's a handsome young doctor. No. She said, uh, he's in a rock band. I said, no, no. <laughs> and then she said, well, can you at least look at his Facebook page? You'll change your mind. So I look at his Facebook page, and indeed, he's a very handsome young doctor who's, who has some samples of his band, and he's the lead singer, and it sounds like Coldplay, but in Arabic. So I said, well, what the hell? What, what's the difference? I'll just be depressed for a month with a, a handsome young doctor in the next room. So uh, I said, okay. And um, the day he was supposed to arrive, I was supposed to pick him up at the airport, and... Uh, that day, the day before, my oldest dog died. And I thought, wait a minute, how could this happen? Two huge losses right in a row like that. And uh, I, I texted Dr. Yaya, and I said, uh, I didn't really care about being rude or anything. I just, I, I just said, I, there's no way I can pick you up at the airport, just find your way to my house. I'm too busy falling apart. I'm, I'll be crying all day or whatever. <laughs> and and uh, so that happened. I cried all day. I, I went to all the places my dog pooed and, and, the, and all the places that my ex and my dog were walking. And uh, I, I kind of tried to get it all out before Yaya arrived. And so uh, that evening, I go home, and uh, my ex telephones because he, the dog was ours for those 11 years. And we talk on the phone. We, we reminisce about the dog. And uh, he casually drops that he's, uh, you know, started dating again. And he, and he um, just happens to mention that she's in the circus. And I, I, I thought, you know... Someday that will be funny, and I, I will just file it, file it away, you know. And that, at that moment, the doorbell rings, and uh, I'm still on the phone, and I run downstairs to open the door, still on the phone with my ex, and I open the door, and unbelievably, Dr. Yaya is standing there, and he's like a hundred times even more handsome than, than his picture. And I, I, I was just like, um, 
Chow got to go. Enjoy Circus Girl. And uh, I, I let him in, and all of a sudden, I'm like concerned about like what he thinks about me, and 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 I rush up the stairs ahead of the, uh, him and try to explain why I'm such a mess, and and you know why I couldn't pick him up, and and all of a sudden, I I remember I have this wall full of graffiti in my living room because two days earlier I had had a New Year's Eve party to try to kind of cheer myself up and I thought well maybe it'll cheer me up if my friends wrote in big bright red lipstick on my wall and so they did and th and they wrote you know wishes for the new year and they wrote some naughty things and I thought he, he's gonna think I'm more of a, a lunatic and I was just starting to get more nervous and I as I opened the, the door to my flat he came in and he, he just saw the wall and, and he didn't even blink and he just, he, he just had this mild understanding manner about him. So I just kind of finally, I relaxed and with him against this wall of lipstick, I said, um, so what are you researching at UCSF? And, and he said, uh, well, you know, stem cell research is really big right now. And uh, every medical specialty is trying to see how they can apply it to their specialty. And I said, well, what, what's your specialty? And he just cheerfully says, erections. And, <laughs> and, I, and I just said, well, I was trying to like quickly think, wh what is the appropriate response, you know? And I, I, I you know, I maybe like, um, what a coincidence, one of my special interests, or, or, uh, or you know, uh, 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 I'd love to hear more about them. But I, you know, I just said, um, let me show you to your room. <laughs> so I, I, I take him to the room, and, and later that night, I, I'm lying in my bed, settling in, and, and I, I hear this weird sound that I, I hadn't heard come out of me f for three months. I could barely didn't even know what it is. And I, I th it sounded like, ha, huh. <laughs> you know? And I, it was like the first chuckle I'd, I'd had in months. And, and I was laying there thinking, my ex is dating a circus girl. And, and, and I'm imagining she's like 12 inches tall, bearded, a couple of extra breasts, you know? <laughs> but I have an erection doctor next door, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And uh, so the first week he's there, <laughs> first week he's there, I come home from work, I see him at the, sitting at the kitchen table with his laptop and he's looking at some pictures and I said, what's that? And he said, uh, well, you know, he's been, uh, he has this mentor at UCSF and he's been watching his surgeries in, a, in an operating theater and taking pictures. And he's got this thing, he's looking at something that looks, you know, like those big cuts of beef that you wrap with string and put in the oven and becomes ro a roast beef or something. It's like this big and, and uh, he said, that's penis. And I like, I said, wait, <laughs> how can that be? You know, it, it looked nothing like it, you know, and it was like blown up and bloody and horrifying. And you couldn't, you couldn't even see that there was a pers person attached to it. So through some sort of magic of the operating theater, you just saw this, big cut of roast beef on a, on a, on a plate. And, and I know this might make some men squirm a little bit. It'll only be a minute. Um, so I was fascinated, actually, because I, at one point, also wanted to be a doctor. And uh, so he went on to explain to me all the, all the uh, conditions that he treated. Are, they're not just erectile dys dysfunction, but, you know, vanity, like, uh, you know, men wanting to enhance their penis, make it uh, bigger or wider, longer, whatever. And sometimes it, there are curly penises and that they'd want to straighten. You know, it's not just women with their curly hair, you know. Uh, and uh, so it kind of became a routine. I'd come home from work, pour myself a glass of wine and go, what do we have today? <laughs> and uh, I would look, flip through some 
surgery pictures, you know, next, 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 stop. What did you do there? Why'd you make that choice? And anyway, um, and so from then on, he just, for the month, he became a, a fixture in my life. And it, it was his first time in America. And uh, he wanted to meet all my friends. He wanted to experience everything I did. So he came to my yoga class. And he was being San Francisco. We went to a march every couple of days, every, some protest. And uh, he volunteered with me. We went to a wedding. He invited my friends to dinner and made dinner for them. And we even got to watch uh, Barack Obama's first inaugura inauguration because it was January 2009. And then m all my friends loved him. Like, it, they, they wanted him with me everywhere I went. And, you know, if I showed up without him one day, they would go, where's Yaya? Yaya. And, they, and they would go, what'd you do with Yaya? What, no Yaya? And uh, so, so it, it just became a lovely month of activities with Dr. Yaya. And toward the end of the month, um, we went shopping for sunglasses for him so he can take him back to Cairo. And uh, he picked out this pair. And I said, you know, that, that makes you really look very scary and like a thug. And he became really s silent. And he said, I have to look like a thug in Cairo to protect myself. Uh, and this was two years before the first Tahrir Square <laughs> revolution. And he said, uh, you, you have to look threatening, you know, to, to feel safe in the streets. And uh, another bit of silence, and he said, um, Gigi, I think I'm becoming soft. And uh, I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, in the, in the month that I've been here, I've just sort of became my true self, and I didn't have to have this hard exterior. And I, I don't know if I could go back to being hard. And believe me, the word puns did not escape me. <laughs> but this was very serious. But he did leave. And that day, we did cry. And uh, you should know that there's nothing romantic between me and Yaya. It was just that we clicked. And we loved doing things together. And he just sort of turned on a light bulb in me. A you know, something that I'd never thought about in, in relationships. And I thought, maybe the next relationship I'm going to have, there will be compatibility. I'll look for compatibility. Like somebody, I've always had love and passion and attraction. and But I'd never even thought that you could be this compatible with a male. Uh, and But in this case, there was no romance or anything. And uh, little did we know that two years later, I would be living in London. I'd be sitting down one day looking at Facebook and seeing a picture of him in a gas mask being a medic in Tahrir Square in the first revolution. And I'd like to think of that month as being sort of a, a tiny stepping stone to whatever the next thing was for each of us. And for him, I think it had something to do with being his true self and not being the, the person he had to pretend to be. And before I say the end, I just want to say if there's any obsessive compulsive in the audience really worried about that wall of lipstick, it was a wall of mirrors. So I did finally wipe it off in March. So <laughs> don't worry. Thank you. <laughs> Gigi Hanna, everybody.
Yeah, my skill is not as a, someone who uh, can uh, change the, the height of microphones. Um, we've all got different skills, I guess. Uh, it would be a handy skill for me to have, though, as a, as a host of a night. I do understand that. Yes, right. Uh, so our next performer uh, is Alan English! <laughs> Bit of legend to kick off with. Movie legend. Every villain in this town of anarchy and chaos remembers the tale of the horrible fate of the late Lips Manless. Lips Manless was a West Side boy, hairy, squat, and ugly, when times were hard and poverty was thriving in the city. The kids all liked to taunt him, and they called him Liver Lips. But Lips said nothing in response, just beat them with his fists. A bullied kid, he always felt the need to prove himself. The bitter memories drove him on to gain enormous wealth. Lips Manless wasn't smart enough to make an honest living. He turned to crime and started off by simple, petty thieving. He soon progressed to stick-up jobs, extortion, theft, and savagery, and kept the lawmen off his back with blackmail, force, and bribery. He decimated many foes in vicious gangland warfare, acquiring power and territory to build a criminal empire. He took over a casino, the fashionable Club Ritz, a team of bodyguards on hand to ward off gangland hits. He wooed the Ritz's gorgeous singer, breathless Jane Mahoney, blonde, petite, and beautiful, her voice as sweet as honey. The years rolled on, and Manless soon relaxed into his rule. He ate and drank from dawn till dusk and partied like a fool. And then one night there was a raid, three cops bust through the door to find Lips Manless having dinner, feasting like a boar. The mobster king looked like a child, a bib in his tuxedo. The cops said, we're arresting you for running this casino. You're coming with us now downtown to face the wrath of justice. We're going to bring your girl along. We need her as a witness. The pair of them were marched outside where a black sedan was parked. And in the back seat, Flattop Jones, a smiling hoodlum, lurked. Lips got a shock to see him there. A machine gun pointed at him. It dawned on him the cops were fake. His enemies had tricked him. The sedan squealed away without a moment's hesitation. It drove through town, then down a hill towards its destination. A city warehouse in the dark, gloomy and forbidding. The gate rose up, the car pulled in, a group of men were waiting. The atmosphere was ominous as the cops piled out the door. They dragged Lips out and sent him tumbling helpless to the floor. Panicky and sweating, Manless staggered to his knees. He looked up, and standing over him was Big Boy Al Caprice. Now, Big Boy wasn't very tall or even very wide, but he had an air of menace round him. Lips was terrified. 
Big boy Caprice was on the rise, a vicious, ruthless criminal. The lawman couldn't slow him down. His rampage was unstoppable. One look into his bulging eyes told Manless he was toast. For Big Boy had a lust for power, Lips had long since lost. Lips groveled. Big Boy, ain't we pals? But Big Boy shook his head. No pals in this business, Lips, the snarling hood replied. Then Big Boy said, let's make a deal. Your club, I really like it. Give me your club, I'll spare your life. Here's the deed, now sign it. Lips signed his name, his life imperiled, hanging in the balance. But as he signed, he heard a rumbling tremor in the distance. A truck reversed towards them, slowly coming to a stop. A cement machine fixed on its back, the mixer placed on top. As Lips looked on, a switch was flipped, the mixer started rolling. The noise resounded round the warehouse, shuddering and screeching. Then Big Boy turned around to Lips. He looked at him and laughed. He said, you're really dirty, Lips. I think you need a bath. Then Big Boy's men took hold of Lips and dragged him to his fate. They cuffed his hands and set him down inside a wooden crate. Then Lips' manless began to weep. His body shook with dread. The mixer tipped and cold cement poured down upon his head. Lips cried, Please, Big Boy, not the bath! He wailed and begged for mercy, humiliated in defeat and screaming like a baby. And Lips remembered with a chill every one he'd robbed and killed. They all came back to haunt him now. His enemies had brought him low. Big Boy's men smiled down upon him, giving him no sympathy, while Big Boy laughed uproariously, relishing his victory. The mixer stopped, the truck rolled back, the crate lid slammed down hard. And breathless, watched this all in fear, all that watched this all in fear and didn't say a word. Even in the chilly air, the lady looked divine. As Big Boy took her hand and said, What manless owned is mine. Inside the crate, the light was gone as manless faced his doom. There would be no reprieve for him. This crate would be his tomb. As the cement began to dry, slowly lips began to die. He rashed in vain, he thrashed and gurned, his arteries stiffened, his insides burned. The crate was draped in heavy chains. The lid was nailed down tight. The wood and concrete coffin was a truly gruesome sight. Then Big Boy nodded to his gang. A henchman pulled a lever. The crate fell through a trapdoor, plunging deep into the river. Then Big Boy roared, With manless gone, it's me who owns this town, and there's no one out there strong or brave enough to take me down. He turned and strolled towards his car. His work tonight was through. He paused to have a henchman wipe cement from off his shoe. The gang drove off into the night with barely a glance backward at the warehouse standing mournfully, a solitary graveyard. So Big Boy ruled the underworld, the city in his grip. But in the end, he met a fate as terrible as Lip's. And when villains hear this tale, they feel a mix of fear and sadness. They don't want to face the horrible fate of the late Lips Manless.
This piece is uh, relatively new and uh, is based on a real tragedy that I was witness to. It's called Lorry Crash. First, a headlight. Scattered on the tarmac, looking down the gutter to see crowds piercing through my fog of self-immersion. The trickling voices, like distant whispers, as I take it in, seeing a thick red smear on the road ahead, knowing what it cannot be makes me realise what it is. I see the lorry, stationary, as if it just bumped into the building and not crashed. There is a frozen body sprawled on the cross-junction like a toy from a first aid exercise. But it's not. A man in a black-blue jacket pounds away on the chest. I turn away. I've never seen this before. I'm disturbed at how thrilled I am at the newness of it all. The man gives up. The filthy white cloth that drapes the body surrenders. The police arrive. All the living are headed off. I slip inside the library, hiding downstairs, a worm among the bookshelves. My phone silenced to the repeated hailing of my family. I emerge and answer their calls, trying not to reflect too much on what I've seen. Too close, and yet not close enough. Alan English, everybody, and he runs uh, a night called Paper Tiger Poetry as well, which you should definitely check out if you're in London or anywhere that it is. Right, so yeah, um, so this uh, is, well, going to be the last pe last performer of the night. Um, it was going to be uh, a, a really great comedian uh, who has tragically uh, had to go to the hospital and stuff like that, so uh, sadly, uh, appropriately for the night, but sadly for her, she is not with us. So instead, it's going to be me. Uh, so put your hands together for the last act. Dave, everybody! So, yeah, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about uh, childhood traumas that I've experienced whilst I've been in Edinburgh this year, which may sound like a weird thing to be doing in the middle of a festival where there's all of these amazing things happening. Um, but I've been doing a solo show about those things. Um, and so when I was doing that solo show about those things, every day I was talking about, you know, the, some of the worst things that have happened to me. And I've been, you know, going out on the streets and trying to convince people to come in and see some of the worst things that have happened to me, you know. Um, and I've been also in the night running this night, Stand Up Tragedy. So I've been out on the streets saying to people, tragedy, would you like to see some tragedy? And nobody does want to see tragedy often uh, because the word tragedy kind of makes them go, oh, no, I want to be happy tonight. I want to think about happy things. And I say there's some laughs as well as some tears. And sometimes there is. People do uh, make th do things that make people laugh on this stage. Uh, but sometimes there's not. I mean, sometimes the comedians come with a really straight set and uh, an opportunity to not make people laugh and to actually make them cry. And, and when those moments happen, people might have uh, a hard time in here. We've heard some quite, quite uh, tough material in here, I think, tonight. Um, and so that will have made us feel lots of things. Um, and so when I've been thinking about childhood traumas and why I want to sort of talk about about them and why I want to uh, do shows that look at things that are sad and which are hard to look at and, and, and complicated. Um, I was thinking about, about my childhood, about my, the time when I was experiencing those traumas. And the thing is, I'm not going to talk about the traumas, you can relax about that now. I'm going to be talking about like things around the traumas, so that's okay. But yeah, um, so when I've been thinking about my childhood, 
it's like when I think about those moments, then I, I can think about this really dark childhood, this really sad childhood, this really this childhood filled with pain and abuse and things like that, right? But that wasn't all of my childhood. That wasn't all of that moment of my childhood. At the same time, there were other things happening, mundane things, you know? Like in life, you have mundane things, then terrible things, and also really happy things. I had like really happy things going on in my life, like my friendships and going to stay with my dad were really happy. My, my ha family home was not a happy place, but going to stay with my dad was some of my best memories, some of the best moments of my life. And when I was experiencing that, I was in uh, the, the city of Coventry. Does anyone know the city of Coventry? Someone does, but not very many people. Coventry is a, a kind of complicated city in that it was bombed, it let, like, had loads and loads of uh, car manufacturing stuff in it. So when in the war, it was bombed uh, because that's where all of the manufacturing was. And they, they pretty much, you know, the, everyone knows the Blitz in London, but Coventry had a, a very serious Blitz. And when that happened, uh, the cathedral was bombed and it was, and it was destroyed and the cathedral was kind of destroyed and they took um, the, uh, the, 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 the posts that had fallen and charred and they made a sort of charred cross to remember that and that's called the old cathedral but one of the other things that happened from that bombing from all of that turmoil was that they made the new cathedral and the new cathedral is this beautiful building with this beautiful bits of art in it and it is not just a building it is an instrument like when they made that that cathedral they made it to be played they made it to sound to have this beautiful sound coming out of it and so in Coventry when you go to see those two cathedrals you see this old cathedral where dark things and destruction and misery and sadness happened but you also see this new cathedral where new life and new growth and new things grew out of it and for me that is why I kind of feel like when I look back at my childhood it's important to talk about the, the dark things as well because when you talk about the dark things the light grows out of them it isn't just like a, a terrible bleak place and I have a lot of bleak places in my life I, I kind of experience anxiety and depression and all of those things but if I didn't experience the darkness I think in some ways I wouldn't really appreciate the light um, and I was talking about this with my friend uh, Liz who pr produces the show uh, today and uh, we were sort of talking talking about traumas with a happy bunch at Stand Up Tragedy. And uh, she, uh, I sort of said about the two cathedrals and all of these things that I was feeling and why it was frustrating to me that people didn't want to come in and, 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 and talk about uh, dark things because we've all got them and it makes us feel less alone when we share them. It makes us understand that, shit, I had that shit and so does someone else. And that's how it's been in my solo show, incidentally. Like, people who've come have been like, wow, that, that reminded me of stuff that happened in my life. When they cry in my solo show, uh, they didn't cry uh, for, for, for my story. They cried for their stories. But the act of crying when you allow yourself to do it, when you do it freely, can be a very cathartic experience. And so, yeah, when I told Liz about all of that stuff, she said, Star Trek 5. And I, okay. <laughs> and, 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 and she said, and she said, well, you know, there's a quote from Kirk and she, she misquoted it at the time, so I won't embarrass her uh, now, but we looked it up on the internet. Um, and, uh, and, and, in, and in Star Trek V, Kirk says, uh, pain and guilt can't be taken away with the ways, wave of a magic wand. They're the thing that we carry with us, the things that make us who we are. And if we lose them, we lose ourselves, right? And I think that's, that's it for me. The pain, the sad things are what made me who I am. And when I share those with other people, they're talking, they, they feel the things that made them who they are. And it's not nice and it's not, and it's not happy. But from looking at who we are and embracing ourselves and, 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 and at the beginning of the night, the first set was about not loving yourself. And I find it hard to love myself. And one of the things that helps me to love myself, and I occasionally get those moments of loving myself now, I, I, I occasionally get them. And what allows me to have those moments 
moments is having looked at those traumas, having thought about them, having dealt with them, you know, and that is why I make this show and that is why I've been making this solo show in Edinburgh and that is why I've been thinking all the way through the Edinburgh Festival this year about sad, traumatic events that happened to me and I am bloody glad that I have done that. Uh, so thank you very much uh, for listening to my ramble at the end of the fringe about what I'm thinking about. Um, how, how are we doing for time? Do we have time for me to do my song? Yes, we do. Okay, so I'm going to finish on a song. Um, now, whoa. I'm going to finish on a song, hopefully not knock over a microphone. Um, Harv, um, is there a plug for me to plug this into? Because I'm, I'm very... I, I was too busy looking up Star Trek quotes uh, before the show started. Oh, hang on. Right. Oh. Okay. Right, so, yeah. Oh. Right, so the last time, last year, I ended the Edinburgh Festival with this song. Uh, it was a bit of a different moment. Stuart Lee had just done tw a 20 minute, 20 minute spontaneous set, um, which he was in the back of the room, and three of our acts had pulled out, and he, I brought him up onto stage, like, randomly, and it was amazing. Um, but this is going to be amazing, too, anyway. It's going to be a different thing. You can't, I'm never going to reach the, the level of bringing up Stuart Lee onto the stage and then asking the audience whether I should do a song, and they went, yes, which I didn't think they would. So I got to close after Stuart Lee, which was pretty cool for me, guys. Um, but anyway, tonight I'm not going to be doing that. But before, I, um, before we do the song, first of all, very quickly, um, does, that, does everyone know what platform game characters are? Oh. No. Right, platform game characters are um, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog or uh, Super Mario, things that bounce around, right? Platforms, they jump onto different platforms. So, um, right, um, I want you to think about your favourite platform game character, the one that you loved as a child. I want you to close your eyes and uh, when you open them again uh, and look at the stage, I will be that platform game character. Okay, uh, hit it, Harv. Oh, can we go from right at the start or I'll get confused about exactly where I am? Oh. Right, and a bit more, like some volume, that'd be good, yeah. Okay, so kind of closing your eyes now, I told you to do it a bit early, and then open them again. My face is smiling, that's how they program me. These pixels, they are dying, the world disappears slowly. Dust fills the cartridge, jungles and mountains disappear Here, 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 I tried to jump onto a ledge But it's no longer there No one plays this anymore No one plays this anymore oh, oh, No one plays this anymore They have forgotten me They have forgotten me my friends and my enemies, they all went first Leaving me all alone on this screen Walking through empty landscapes Remembering what we had been It used to be bright, the music didn't stop And if you died, you just got up again And it didn't realise that things could change That the game could ever really end Dust fills the spaces, making everything glitch I'm separated forever, you can't control me anymore This is the last platform, why can't I jump? 
So this is uh, the end of the show, which means I will remind you uh, that this is the free fringe. And so if you can pay something back, remember all those tragic times, uh, please do so. Um, we could do with the money. It's the end of the festival and we could do with the bloody money. Um, but don't feel that if you can't afford to pay it, that you should, that you should pay it. Uh, it is free and I don't want anyone putting any money that's going to cause tragedy in their lives. And uh, yes, uh, £10 and you get a t-shirt. Uh, £5, you get a fanzine. And thank you very much for making this last show of the Edinburgh Festival particularly warm and safe and happy uh, in a kind of tragic way. Thank you very much, everybody, for coming. The tragedy is now over.